What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Early Risers podcast. I'm your host, Skylar Deem, and I am an early riser. Now, when I say early riser, you don't necessarily have to wake up by a certain time. When I say early riser, all I mean is someone who wakes up earlier than they have to in order to get some form of uninterrupted personal development in the morning. So if you have to wake up at 9 a.m. to get to work on time and you decide you're going to wake up at 8.30 and perform some sort of a morning routine that pushes you to get better, you're an early riser. And at the same time, if someone wakes up at 10 a.m. and they have to get to work on time and they wake up at 9.30 and they perform some sort of a morning routine, they are an early riser. Today's special guest is Ty Hicks. Ty Hicks is a results coach, strategic interventionist, national influence trainer, investor, and executive vice president of a multi-million dollar organization dedicated to creating social change. Obsessed with uncovering what separates individuals and organizations with extraordinary impact from those without, Ty works to distill principles, strategies, and systems that help individuals radically shift the quality of their lives and contributions to society now. Through his life events, one-on-one coaching, and trainings, Ty has empowered over 60,000 individuals in skills of leadership, influence, and practical psychology. His methods have been used to help people break destructive habits, repair broken relationships, and improve organizational performance. He is a frequently featured speaker at conferences around the country, and Ty is also passionate about bringing freedom to as many North Koreans as possible and is on a mission to raise the funds necessary to rescue 10,000 refugees. You can connect with Ty and access his high-performance technologies at ty-hicks.com. And that link and every other link from today's show will be found at earlyrisersmovement.com slash ERM33. Now, if you couldn't tell from that bio, Ty is involved in a ton of amazing stuff, and I just completely loved having him on the show. We talked about some amazing things, and honestly, I experienced a lot of paradigm shifts just through speaking with him. I think there's a lot of times in our lives where we hear these things over and over and they kind of register in our brain and we think we understand them, but then something happens and maybe that's a life event or maybe in this case it's someone just explaining it in a different way or going into detail and from a different direction and just hearing Ty speak really, really hit home at a lot of points and really drove some points that I thought I understood before, really drove them home so I actually understand them. So this is an amazing episode. I'm super excited for you to hear it. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy. If you have any questions or anything, don't forget to hit me up or follow me on Instagram at Early Risers Movement, but I hope you enjoy the show. So today's special guest is Ty Hicks. How are you doing today, Ty? Oh, doing fantastic, man. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for coming on the show. Do you mind just starting us off with just a quick introduction of who you are, kind of what you do, and a little bit about how you got to this point? Yeah, I'd love to. So my primary work these days is working with individuals as a results coach, especially in the field of personal and practical psychology. So what I like to say that means is helping people close the gap between where they're at now and where they want to be, whether that's their finances, their relationships, their personal health and well-being, their motivation, their willpower, or just their general psychological fitness. And so I like to bring specific strategies to the table and help people understand how they can really create that feeling of alignment from head to toe 
between how they actually want to live and how they're actually living. So that's my primary work. And I also have some experience building organizations. When I was getting my career started, I got involved in youth activism, and that's kind of been my primary focus for a number of years. So I've been very blessed to build uh, an organization and lead it that's at the multi-million dollar level that's serving you know hundreds of thousands of people nationwide. And so I've learned a lot of really interesting lessons about leadership and influence and motivation and team building and also organizational performance. So that's been a really exciting time as well. And those are kind of the two big areas that I'm focusing on right now. But to kind of sum up sort of what I'm trying to do in terms of the long-term mission, I really want to help people overcome any sort of psychological limitations that they have. And so that's obviously why I have a huge emphasis in the work of practical psychology. And, you know, really my big motivation for going into that field full force now is that when I was younger, I had a pretty serious episode of suicidal depression at the age of about 12 or 13 and almost took my life. And thankfully, because I had some people in my life who really cared about me and who had some skills, I was able to be brought back from the brink of that sort of psychological dark space. And so coming out on the other side of that, I realized exactly you know, how powerful the mind can be, either for good or for bad, and what the real consequences are if we don't understand how it works. So I want to help people get that sort of user's manual for the brain that no one else uh, you know, gave us in grade school, for example. And I know that's something that you're passionate about as well with your own unique spin, of course. So just excited to be here and uh, excited for the conversation. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's it's super inspiring whenever I hear a story like that, just because I, I feel like the people who hit those lows, they're the ones that really are able to hit the highs. And it's always amazing to hear a story like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's crazy because, you know, most people will not be sufficiently motivated to take massive action to improve their life simply by contemplating what good could come from it. You know, most people I find who really have that intrinsic drive that just are self-starters and are relentless in their pursuits have all had a taste of the pain of what happens on the other side of things. So yeah, I couldn't agree more. Mm. So what do you think kind of pointed you in this direction? Um, I know like you have, obviously when you start something new, there's always a bunch of these different opportunities and some people don't really know where to pick. So was there something that kind of pointed you in this direction? Cause just by what you said at the beginning, obviously you're doing a lot and it's, it's always interesting to me how people get pointed in the direction that they do. Yeah. So when I started my career, I was actually in college and I was getting involved with this youth organization that was political and there was a job opportunity to move out to DC and work full time. And I remember I kind of had this big decision on my plate and that decision was, do I continue, you know, and finish my degree, stay in school full time as a student, or do I take a leap and enter into a world that I'm not too familiar with and, you know, sort of leave the safe harbor of my college education and go and have to create something kind of brand new for myself. And I remember being on the precipice of that decision where I had a bunch of friends and family members who obviously were trying to do what was right for me, 
and were concerned and, you know, cared deeply who were, you know, encouraging me to stay the course and finish school and do what was safe, essentially, is kind of how my brain kind of came up to form a meaning around that. And then on the other hand, I had the unsafe, uncertain decision to kind of venture out and create something new. And I just kind of had this moment and uh, I was reading some Nietzsche one night and then all of a sudden I said, okay, I don't want a safe life. I don't want to, you know, base my decisions about where I take myself based off of what's safe. I want to, I want to do it off of, you know, what's going to cause me to leap the furthest. So that I remember is one of the most formative experiences in my life that still guides a lot of my decisions and where I go in my career and the things that I try to do. And so I moved to DC and I laid down some roots and I've been building this organization for about three and a half years. So I got very interested in how I could become a better leader, how I could become a better employee. I started overseeing larger teams. I ended up having more responsibility. I now oversee our fundraising department that's in charge of raising $6 million this year, for example. And so there became an increased demand for skills. And I started to realize something that I know you're very familiar with, which is, you know, if you want to get better at something, you just need to find somebody else who's done it. You don't necessarily need to learn all those hard lessons the first time around. So I really took it upon myself to master the skills of persuasion, of ethical influence, of leadership development. And I started getting my hands on everything I could possibly, you know, get my hands on of personal development, professional development, psychology, motivation, willpower, everything. And it's something I've kept up to this day, you know, reading on average two books a week. So that was kind of the first entry point was just me wanting to become the best employee and team member for my company that I possibly could. And then, you know, I kind of reached this point when I was working with all of these individuals in my organization. And I realized that what really made me feel fully alive about my role was not even necessarily the outputs and outcomes of the organization itself, but it was those little moments. It was all of those little conversations that I had with people, whether it was at a live event where I was giving a training or whether it was a one on one conversation where somebody said, hey, you know, I'm appreciative of you because you helped me realize I can do so much more than what I thought I actually could. And I realized I was helping people get out of their own way. And I really think that that's kind of one way you could frame what leadership is, is being able to creatively throw a little cold water on people's faces and say, hey, are you awake? Are you present? Are you purposeful in what you're doing? And are you really acting in such a way that supports where you really want to go? And so when I started to realize that those were the moments that were making me feel fulfilled, and I remembered that dark period in my history when I was younger, I realized that I had a talent that I could cultivate and really master. And that talent would be helping people expand their model of the world so that they can, you know, realize their potential, they can get out of their own way, and, you know, they can stop bullshitting themselves in terms of what's actually possible for them. Yeah, and so many people get stuck in that that ditch, that spot where they really just don't know how they're going to get out. And what's amazing about what you're doing is it's always nice to have an outside perspective and not a lot of people usually get that. Um, but I want to take a step back a second. And you mentioned that you, one of the things you do is you really know how to influence and you're big on creating influence for leadership. And in general, I love the concept of influence. I think it's a word that we kind of hear pretty often, but we don't really ever dig deep into. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Could do you mind kind of giving your definition of influence and maybe speaking a little bit on it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, what I came to understand early on, you know, my job when I first came to DC and was involved in this youth organization, our primary responsibility was recruitment, right? So we had to reach out to cold prospects, essentially, people who had never heard of us whatsoever that we thought we could get interested and we needed to enroll them in membership of our organization and we needed to convince them to become volunteers, you know, to dedicate a significant portion of their time to actually, you know, help us advance this mission. And I had had a direct background in sales actually too. I actually started as a door-to-door salesman when I was 13, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then I did um, upscale, you know, direct service retail where I'm helping people and I'm, you know, having people walk out of the store with like a thousand dollars worth of merchandise in their hands. And that was always a super rewarding experience for me. So when I got into the world of grassroots recruitment, I was thinking in terms of closing. I was thinking in terms of sort of sales, right? And that helped me. That was kind of my initial formative sort of education in the world of influence, which I think is sort of the framework that a lot of people are working with. You know, they hear the word influence or they hear the word sales. And we all have had that cringy moment, you know, of a sleazy person trying to get us to do something that we don't want to do. And so what I came to understand is a lot of people are very concerned about actually mastering their skills of ethical influence. And we tend to have some sort of limiting beliefs around what it means to be an influencer. And when I was trying to help these leaders in my organization become better influencers, I literally realized that their biggest problem was that they were not able to take pride in their identity as an influencer. So the first thing I would say about influence is people have really got to make sure that they have a concrete understanding of what we mean when we talk about influence. And this is why I always stress ethical and lasting influence, right? You know, there's a big difference between twisting somebody's arm into doing something because you wore them down or you caught them on a good day or, you know, you just happen to say the right thing to get them to say yes in that little moment, you know, and get them to make that sale or whatever the case is. But there is all the difference in the world between that and then creating a lasting alignment between, you know, you creating a frame around your opportunity, around your product, around your organization, whatever it is that you're bringing to them, creating real alignment between what that is and what they actually value deepest, uh, you know, above all else. So I started to realize that there was a whole nother league to this whole influence game, you know, that we can't just twist people's arms into doing things that might get you to meet your bottom line, you know, for your organization that might help you look good for your boss, that might help you get your bonus or whatever the case is, but you're not going to build something that lasts and you're really going to end up shooting yourself in the foot And of course, you're not going to be able to take pride in what you're doing as an influencer. So, you know, that's the first big distinction I like to give people, because just like we've all had those experience with sleazy people who try to influence us into doing things we don't want to do. We also have had those moments when we didn't want to do something, but somebody who deeply cared about us came to us and insisted that we take action. And we said, no, 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 I don't think I want to do it. And they said, listen. 
I know you, I love you, and this is something that is so right for you. And I simply can't live with myself if I do not insist that you take action in this area. And those are the people that get our attention because they're coming from such a deep, compassionate place that tends to pierce through the noise that we have going on internally and wake something up inside of us and we feel compelled to act. So if there's anybody out there who wants to improve their ability to communicate and to ethically influence, you know, they've got to understand that if you can cultivate that state of being in a compassionate place, then the rest will come to you. The first part of my career of trying to figure out how to influence, I thought I needed to learn I thought I needed to learn all the closes, you know. I thought I needed to learn all the phrasings, all of the tricks, so to speak, of the masters. I kind of looked at influence as this sleazy game. But that's not what influence is. Real influence that lasts, that matters, that means something is when you create real alignment with somebody's deepest values and what you have to bring to the table. And those are the people who will stick with you. Those are the people who will love you for the fact that you gave them a kick in the ass and told them to take action. And that only happens, we're only able to have that level of impact when we stop coming from this place of fear and insecurity and we start worry, or excuse me, we stop worrying about how we're being perceived by them. And instead we say, no, I'm here to offer something valuable. I'm not here to twist anyone's arm. I'm literally here to empower somebody with the opportunity that I have. And I'm going to take pride in that. And I'm going to have a level of unreasonableness, or unreasonableness, excuse me, psychologically, that says I'm not going to give up until this person takes action. So that's a little bit of a starter in terms of the conversation. You know, I obviously do mastery trainings on this. My my course that I offer is like 15 mastery modules. So it's literally a subject that you could talk about for an entire weekend. But those are the huge fundamental critical distinctions I think people have got to get. And I guess maybe the last thing I would say on this is if they do not prioritize becoming a more effective influencer, they're going to have a very tough life. And that's just something I think people are not understanding. You know, if you want to move forward in your life and in your business, no set of skills is more important than those of being able to ethically influence people in a lasting way. You are going to have to be able to generate alignment and generate buy-in somewhere along the line, whether it's being able to figure out how to create alignment with your romantic partner, whether it's creating alignment with your boss, with your teammates, with your clients, with your prospective customers, with your current customers, right? All of us have got to be able to understand these basic principles of how the mind works and how we can constantly frame our message in a way that lands with people. That was amazing, man. That that entire time you were speaking, I was just thinking of these questions and they were popping up. And then like 20 seconds later, you would answer them and then I would have another and you would answer it. So well, that was awesome. Good, yeah, thank you. So so you have the term results coach, right? Yes, yes. So, and I, I like to say that because, you know, most people are like, oh my God, what's a coach? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> everybody's got the reaction when they hear coach. And, uh, you know, I thought no one wants a coach, but what people want is results. And so that's the big thing that I always make sure people understand is if they sign up to have me in their corner, it's not just me talking to them once a week or once a month or whatever it is. It's, you know, we go until you get the result and that's the guarantee. So I, I thought results coach was the most appropriate denominator for a title of what I do. 
Yeah, no, I love that. That's the first time I'm hearing it too. I've heard, you know, the big one is the life coach out there now. And then there's a ton of others just had a mindset coach on and performance coach and all these other things, but results really just pounds that into your head. Yeah, it's exciting stuff. And, you know, when I work with people, some conversations are 30 minutes, some are three hours, you know, because when I take someone on, I assess, okay, what is the problem that they're having? And by the way, you know, most people will come to you and tell you what they think their problem is, but there's so many layers to psychology. You know, there's so many layers to the patterns that govern our behavior that we can't exactly pick up on. And as you rightfully pointed out, oftentimes what you need is an outside perspective. You know, you need somebody else who can kind of see what you're not seeing. You need somebody who's got a trained eye who knows the patterns, just like a coach in sports. You know, a coach in sports is not even necessarily somebody who can do what you do better than you do, but they can see what you can't see about your own performance. And they can point out to you what you are not going to be able to arrive at yourself. And they also know and have studied the patterns of people who have done it masterfully in other cases. And they can show you the difference between how you show up at your best. And they can show you what you do differently when you're showing up at your worst. So that's kind of the basic essence of the foundation of the work that I have with people is assessing what's the real pattern that's happening that's keeping them from going where they want to be whether it's behavioral, whether it's a belief, whether it's a repetitive linguistic pattern that they're using that's kind of creating that internal narrative story that they have, or something else, maybe it's environmental, and then figuring out how they can interrupt that and set up a new set of conditions that's going to propel them faster to where they want to go. Mm. And you mentioned NLP, and I definitely, or you said linguistic, and I definitely do want to get to NLP, but I'm just curious, when you're working with people, are there a lot of common themes that you see or is everyone kind of a different case? Yeah, you know, it's it's really interesting. The one big uniform thing that I've noticed with every single client is there is always a pattern. There is always a pattern. And I think that if people want to better understand their own behavior and if they want to understand how to move their life forward, and I'm sure that, you know, virtually every listener of your audience probably falls in that bucket, right? One big takeaway I would want people to know is that every behavior is a pattern. And that sounds simplistic. It's like, okay, well, what do I mean by that? And what I mean by that is, for instance, if if someone comes to me and they tell me that they are depressed, I have to make sure that they fundamentally understand that they don't have depression. And here's what I mean, because that sentence sounds insensitive and ignorant, but there's something very specific about what I mean here. What I mean is, it's not as if depression is something that just befalls people. It's not like it's this thing that just falls out of the sky like a meteor and just hits you and boom, now all of a sudden you have depression. And it's also not something that is tied to your identity. And this is a big mistake that I think people are making in the field of psychology, especially in the field of prescription drugs is, you know, somebody will feel depressed and they will go to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist will say, yep, you are clinically depressed. And they will give them this label. And the problem with that is the patient now walks out of the office feeling like depression is a part of their identity. 
And what will happen is they now walk through the world with a particular lens that they view all of their experiences through that says, well, I'm depressed. And that becomes a bit of a crutch. It, beca- it becomes something that they can use to get significance from other people. It becomes a thing that they can use to get connection with other people. And it can be something that now is going to be that much more difficult for them to actually eradicate because they now have made depression equivalent with who they are. So the one big takeaway I want people to know, and I think that this is a myth that has got to get shattered, is that people have depression uh, fundamentally, you know, that it's sort of a part of who they are. That's just not the case. The reality is that everybody can get depressed. Anybody can exhibit depression. Anybody can do depression. And here's what I mean. Anybody can exhibit the pattern of what it takes to be depressed. You know, for example, if I said, think of a time that you felt depressed and we sat there and you thought about it, if you really thought and searched for one, you could find a time that made you feel depressed. And if I said, okay, focus on that and make it bigger and remember that and remember the picture in your mind as if you were really there and you know, if somebody was yelling at you or saying something to you, remember that with ferocity. And if we intensified that memory, if we intensified the focus that you had on that memory, you would it fundamentally feel depressed. The feeling of depression would get in your body. The only difference is that some people have a pattern of depression that happens almost automatically or seemingly automatically, where they feel like they don't have control over it. And it's just happening on a constant basis, or they have stimuli in their environment that are setting them off, and they just haven't identified the pattern. So for instance, I was just working with a client, and of course, I'll keep his identity confidential, but he told me, you know, he's feeling depressed. And so I started to ask him, okay, let's break that down. Right before you feel depressed, what is happening in your mind? And I actually asked him, you know, to kind of sit quietly and meditate a bit. And I asked him, okay, feel depressed, focus on what you focus on when you get depressed. And it turns out that it was really a specific memory that just kept coming back for him. And it not only that, but it was a specific vocal pattern. It was somebody who had said something very mean to him. And he heard their voice constantly in his head you know, repetitively throughout the day. And so then I said, okay, I want you to hear that voice. I want you to intensify it. And as he intensified the voice internally, he felt more depressed. And then I said, okay, great. Now make that voice Daffy Duck. And all of a sudden he starts busting up laughing, right? Because all I did was shift that little pattern. I just interrupted that pattern. And so all of a sudden he was able to realize that he had just as much of an ability to feel completely hilarious you know, and just laughing in, you know, until he peed his pants as he had the ability to feel depressed. The only problem was he had a super highway on the path to depression and a dirt road on the path to laughter. So it's all about those neural connections and helping people understand that nothing is super concrete. It's all flexible. It's all pliable. And once you start to realize that you can actually start bending your, you know, neurolinguistic patterns right in the direction that you actually want to go. That is insane. There is just so much there, so much there that I would love to talk about. I did pick up that you used the word focus and how it's that you focus on, you know, the fact that you're depressed. And I'm curious, do you 
teach or practice gratitude in general? Oh, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it was Tony Robbins who said it best when he said, you know, where focus goes, energy flows, right? Mm -hmm. So you focus on something that makes you depressed, you'll feel depressed. You focus on something that makes you grateful, you'll feel grateful. So one of the things that I do and teach my clients is don't wait until life comes at you and then react to it and wait to see what kind of unresourceful emotional reactions you're going to have. Instead, you need to prepare. You need to decide in advance what level of emotional quality am I committed to and how can I purposefully prime myself so that I am going to feel ecstatic or excited or grateful or passionate or playful or curious no matter what happens. You know, so I always practice in the morning a daily five-minute primer exercise where I'll literally focus on specific memories that made me feel grateful, specific memories that made me feel confident. You know, everything that I help people do is help them build up their psychological fitness. And if people can start to understand that the more you make it a priority to bring in purposeful emotional resources, the more you'll be able to show up to life on your terms and feel like you are intentionally designing your life in a way that suits where you actually want to go, as opposed to constantly feeling like you're just reacting to whatever life throws at you. Mm -hmm. That is probably one of the best definitions I've heard so far. And when you were speaking, you definitely threw out the definition of NLP. I think it was kind of while you were describing it, but do you mind kind of giving a more solidified definition for the people who may not really understand? Well, yeah, I'm certainly not the most knowledgeable on NLP. I've studied it in detail primarily because it's a technology that works. You know, my fascination is finding the tools that will work. You know, for instance, one big contrast that a lot of people who are familiar with NLP will make in the field of psychology is traditional psychotherapy. You know, seeing a traditional therapist very often will not produce results very quickly. And this is I mean, there are a lot of fantastic therapists out there doing fantastic work. I, I would literally not be alive today were it not for the work of a therapist. So I absolutely have nothing against therapists as a profession or anything else. But I think one of the challenges in the field of therapy, especially for clients who go to see a therapist, is very often they will not get to the root of their issue very quickly. Some people will end up seeing a therapist for years because they have you know, depression or a phobia or whatever the case is. The thing that I love about NLP is it focuses so much on how to generate results that stick and how to generate them very, very quickly. And the really interesting thing about NLP for people who are interested in studying it to, you know, further improve their lives is NLP goes into the mind through a fundamentally different door than traditional psychotherapy does. Traditional psychotherapy, you know, if I go to a therapist and I say I'm depressed, what they're going to do is they're going to ask a lot of questions about why I am depressed. Traditional therapy says that what you have to do is you have to figure out what the source of the depression is. And so I could tell them, you know, I'm not getting along with my wife or my daughter hates my guts or whatever the case is. And we can dive deep and deep and deep into the problems with my wife and my daughter. And very often, I mean, I've had coaching clients who literally come to me and say, you know what, I went to therapy and it just didn't work. And I'm looking for something different. 
And I've had people come to me and say, you know, I left my therapist's office and I actually felt worse than when I walked in. And so the problem is, even though there are a lot of therapists trying to do very, very good work for people and they're very well-intentioned, they tend to get people super focused on the thing that they actually need to not be focused on. Mm. You know, they think that they need to dig deeper on the source, but that ends up not really doing much good. So what NLP teaches us is that as opposed to focusing on the why of why someone is depressed, we actually want to focus on something counterintuitive, and that is the how of how somebody exhibits depression, right? And again, it's asking a fundamentally different question. It's not asking, why are you depressed? It is asking, how do you do depressed, right? And so just like that example I gave a minute ago of that client who hears that particular voice in his head or focuses on the specific memory, all of a sudden you start to realize, oh, look at this. You know, it's not that I'm depressed as a part of my identity, it's just that I do depressed, you know, I'm, it's like I'm generating the feeling of depression because of a pattern I have. So what NLP does is makes you really, uh, you know, aware of those little distinctions in the mind of how we represent our world, and how that produces particular emotional outcomes for us. And NLP technology helps you start to twist that, you know, it helps you turn that raging voice of your mother from your childhood that causes you to feel depressed into the voice of Daffy Duck. So you can start laughing at those old memories that used to scare you. Wow, that's insane. When you started working with this stuff and getting in the results coaching area and just kind of moving into this space, did you immediately pick it up or was it something you had to work at to really understand? Man, I don't even know. Um, I just, you know, I, my obsession is honestly like what works. That's what I'm always looking for. You know, mm-hmm. I just started digging into the field of psychology and I've been reading about a book a week and many of those books have been incredibly lousy, but many of them have provided profound breakthroughs. They have completely changed the way that I approach my work with my clients. And the exciting thing about always dumping in new ideas to your brain, as I know you're aware, is you're constantly growing continuously. And it's not even growth that's happening happening additively, meaning, you know, if I read 10 books and get 10 ideas, it's not that I just have 10 new ideas. All of those 10 ideas build off each other and reinforce each other or become this deeper, more intricately woven and beautiful tapestry of thought, right? So the more that I'm constantly bringing new strategies into the table, the more I can test it, I can see what works, I can try it out in my own life, and I can see what provides value for my clients. And many of them are very different. You know, somebody who comes to me that's got a substance abuse issue that wants to quit smoking in a single session, I'm going to approach very differently than somebody who is having a very difficult time determining if the woman he's with is someone that he's ready to propose to, and he's going to spend the rest of his life with, you know, there, there are distinctions there and there are similarities. So I've just been trying to get a real lay of the land of the field of psychology. I've been trying to understand the different schools of thought. NLP has been one piece of that, but there is such a rich history in the psychological tradition that goes so much further beyond just NLP, where I've gotten probably the majority of my uh, strategies from. Mm. I would love to get a list of the books that you've been going through and any ones that have really left a mark. But do you have like one or two titles off the top of your head that you could share? Well, 
Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually would probably recommend specific people to look into. So one of the individuals that is really, really fascinating is Milton Erickson. So the, the field of coaching that I come from is called strategic intervention. And Milton Erickson is considered the grandfather of strategic intervention. So he was just brilliant and very unconventional in his methods, but he was able to create profound lasting change very, very quickly. And he did it in some very interesting ways. And he also was a hypnotherapist too. So he had the ability to bring people into different levels of trance and was able to use that in a way that would empower people and help them create shifts and breakthroughs. So he's somebody I would definitely recommend looking into for anybody who's really crazy about this stuff. The stories of him and how he would work with his patients is just astounding. They'll make you laugh. You'll scratch your head and you'll reread them. And then all of a sudden you'll realize like what he's going for and you'll start to understand he is just a genius at looking at those types of things. Um, another person I would recommend is Chloe Madonis. Chloe Madonis is, uh, I've actually had the privilege of talking to her a few times and going through some of her training program. And she is considered one of the global authorities in relationship and family therapy. And she has got just incredible insights to help individuals connect better with their spouses or help parents with their children. And she really has got a profound knowledge of family dynamics. And, you know, it's so interesting. You know, the, the psychology of a single human brain is fascinating enough. But when you look at the patterns that are exhibited in a relationship between two people, then it's a whole nother dimension of, you know, fascination that you can have. And I love working with people who are trying to improve their relationships. And then when you look at family dynamics, of course, you know, it just multiplies and multiplies. So she's just a brilliant individual. And I'm trying to think of a third final one. I mean, there's also just so many individuals out there who have, you know, really helped people understand what it takes to be successful. One of the most foundational books that I read in the field of personal development is uh, Think and Grow Rich. And I, I imagine it's probably a book that you've read as well. It's probably one of the most cited books you know, and people in this space. But that was one of the first big eye openers I had to the fact that what makes people successful is not necessarily what I think people think makes people successful. Mm -hmm. You know, when you grow up, I think you have this tendency to think that success kind of happens for certain people and it doesn't happen for other people. And that that's a little bit outside of our control. And Think and Grow Rich, I think, really got me awake and present to the realities of the necessity to master my mind, you know, and help people master theirs in order to get what I really wanted. Mm, yeah, that was a phenomenal book for sure. I actually just read that this year. Uh, oh, cool. Months ago. Yeah. So, but I do want to briefly touch, I know you said you have a financial freedom course or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I just launched Financial Freedom University. And the big motivation for this course, honestly, was I had a lot of my clients who were coming to me who wanted to master their willpower, their motivation. They wanted to do better at work. They wanted to just feel alive and they wanted to improve their relationships. And then what I came to understand was that one of the big areas of our lives that tends to have a grip on our emotional well-being is finances. 
You know, you're never going to be able to feel like you are totally the master of your universe, like you're the joyous master of your life if your financial house is not in order. And it's also an area where many people just simply do not take intentional action because it seems complicated. It seems overwhelming. There's so much information out there. You know, I think people have this idea of mastering money and they visualize, you know, the the floor of the uh, like a stock trading room or something. It, it just seems like this entirely different world that's outside of their control. And you start talking about 401ks or IRAs and people go, I don't know what that <laughs> means. I don't mm. know, you know, what I'm supposed to do, especially people our age, you know, in their early to mid 20s. And what I started to realize is that there are decisions that if you make early on, any person can become financially free. And I don't care whether you make $200,000 a year or whether you make $20,000 a year. In fact, how much you make is actually not the biggest indicator as to whether or not you will become financially free. It is what you decide to do with the money that you have coming in. There are plenty of people who make plenty of money, but end up with nothing when it actually matters in the later years of their life. And then there are also plenty of people who have a low level of income their entire life, but make the right decisions that stack on themselves over and over and over again, and they end up living with abundance. So money and mastering money is something that every single person, especially who's living in 2018 in the United States, you know, which I assume the majority of your audience is in, you know, it's not that hard. It's actually never been easier to generate wealth, but people don't know that. And they're still intimidated by it. And they are probably exhibiting financial rituals that are setting them up for a destiny that they will not eventually realize that they've been choosing all along the line. So this course is meant to demystify what it actually means to master money. I break it down into a simple seven-step framework. The course is seven mastery modules. And one thing I really wanted to make sure that the course did was not just talk about abstract concepts, but actually gave people a tool to literally map out their financial freedom. So that's the real keystone in this entire program is it's not just video trainings explaining key concepts, but I also give people an interactive plug-in-place tool. So as they go through the course, they literally map out through the seven steps their specific plan to reach financial freedom. So by the end of it, they literally can project at what age they would be financially free. And by financially free, I mean that they would be able to sustain their lifestyle or the lifestyle of their dreams without even having to work. So whatever somebody's financial goals are and however far off or unreasonable they seem, I want people to know that you can do it. It's actually not that hard. You just have to make the right decisions. And just to close this up, I would say that the big lesson here in the vein of finances is also just a huge lesson in terms of life. And that is that, you know, you can make a stupid decision once, you can make a lousy expenditure of your money once, and that won't necessarily set you up for a lifetime of not being financially free. But the problem is that life is kind of a series of stacking moments. And I know earlier I said everything is a pattern, right? 
So people can either have intentional patterns that are consciously designed that will literally stack up in order to produce a destiny that they've chosen, or they can fall into reactionary patterns of spending or of relationship or of career or whatever the case is, and they can kind of go through the motions of life just responding to their impulses, making random decisions, but they should not be surprised if one day they lift their head up and they're 65 years old and they go, wait a minute, this isn't the life I knew I was creating for myself. What happened and where'd all my time go? So all the work that I do with people, whether it's money, personal psychology, relationships, et cetera, is to kind of get them jostled, to wake them up a little bit and say, hey, you know, I know right now you may feel like you have all the time in the world and you probably do. But if you keep doing all of the rituals that you're doing right now with your money, with your romantic partner, with your career, where is this going to end up leading you? And maybe now would be the time for us to consciously design what the next 10 years are actually going to look like for you so you can live on your terms. Awesome, man. And it's pretty clear by now that you have a ton of amazing uh, resources available. So if someone was interested in finding more about you and what you do and kind of just finding you online, is there someplace they could find you? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is ty-hicks.com. I have a multitude of free courses. You know, if somebody is looking to dip their toes into the world of influence or if they want to get just some basic understandings of the you know financial realm or if they just want to get skills and strategies that could literally help them be more productive, feel more motivated, master their willpower, get their habits aligned in the way that they need to. I offer a multitude of courses. I've got a blog. You can find me on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. I'm always putting out videos. I'm putting out strategies. I'm putting out content that's meant to get you to pause in your day for just a moment and maybe open up a new insight, open up a new door and, and get people to reflect a little bit more critically. So it's all meant to serve people. And those are the best ways to connect. Awesome, man. And I always like to wrap up the show with a couple questions. The first one is the question of the week. And that is if you could ask one question and just get an answer, no matter what the question is, what would that question be? Oh, man. I would want to ask, what will the next hundred years of the human race look like? I'm deeply curious about where we're headed as a global population. Mm -hmm. And I really think that fundamentally, you know, you've got roughly two sort of schools of thought or forces or whatever you want to call it. I think there are the people out there who are trying to push things forward. They're trying to make people more free. They're trying to create new solutions. They're trying to move things in, in a way that's going to really be a hallmark for human evolution. And then I also see, you know, some people out there who are falling into complacency or, you know, restrictive patterns. And I think you can see this at the individual level or, you know, we even see this with governments that are, you know, abusing their people in the wrong way. So I'd be very curious about the next hundred years of our human history. And I'm curious if we're going to be more free psychologically, emotionally, politically, or, you know, if we're going to... Uh, become more complacent as a, as a, you know, as a race, but I think things are going in the right direction. Mm, I like that a lot. And then we also have a little segment called my current obsession. And my question is just if, is there something in your life right now that you are currently obsessed with? And it could be anything. It could be a song, a place, a person, a sound, a color, just anything that you're really just weirdly obsessed with at the moment. 
Oh, man. You know, I think my obsession has been the same obsession for a number of years, probably will be for the rest of my life. And I just find myself asking myself questions about this every minute of every day. And that is a question about the human mind, whether it is me talking to an individual and me getting deeply curious about what's happening in their model of the world, or if I'm on a call with a client and I'm trying to figure out how to serve them, or if I'm trying to put value out into the marketplace and I'm curious about what's going to resonate with people, I think it always comes back to psychology. So I'm just so obsessed with understanding everything that's happening between two ears. Mm. It's perfect for what you're doing. And then if you could leave one final message for the people listening, what would it be? I think the final message I would have for people is if you are listening to this podcast, you are clearly in some sense of the word a dreamer. There is some gap between where you're at now and where you want to be. And that's an entirely healthy thing. That's an entirely awesome thing because it means you're alive. It means you want something. It means you're human. And I would say that if you're listening to something like this, first of all, pat yourself on the back because you're probably ahead of 95% of the human population that's more so just reacting to life and is not even asking questions at the deeper level about how can they, how they can take things to the next level. The big call to action I would have for anybody listening is to not sleepwalk through your waking life. Do not, you know, go through the motions. Do not end up being one of those people who wakes up one day, lifts their head up and says, oh my gosh, I didn't even know what direction I was going in. I would really challenge every single person to reflect very critically and say, am I settling for making a living or am I designing an extraordinary life? Because I think that that's the most fundamental choice that each one of us has. And many people take the former, very, very few actually take it upon themselves to get to that place of mental clarity where they make a real decision to make a change and set themselves up to create a different destiny. Mm, I love it. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Ty. This has been awesome. Thanks, Skylar. Loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. I appreciate each and every one of you. As always, feel free to reach out at any point with any comments, any questions, or pretty much anything else that you'd like. If you want to get in touch with me, you can find me on our website, earlyrisersmovement.com, or hit me up on Instagram, at earlyrisersmovement. And if you enjoyed the show, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. With that being said, I hope you're one step closer to becoming an early riser, and I will talk to you next time. Keep killing it, everyone.